When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. I, I know, yeah, I can never uh, wrap it up because I'm, I'm grateful to talk to smart people and I also talk too slow. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thank you so much, as always, for making your way here, checking out the series up. Please do hit the subscribe button. Can I entice you with a good conversation so you'll keep up with all the interviews that we put out every single week? That's new interviews every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to keep you up to date on your favorite artists, discover some new ones, know what's happening in the music world, and all the spots that you can subscribe. That, uh, that Those do include iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, NPR, YouTube for the video versions, anywhere you get your podcasts from. I'm Kyle Merritt. Today, I once again get to talk with Nick Offerman, this time discussing the book Where the Deer and the Antelope Play, which finds him writing a book uh, that was inspired by the writings of Wendell Berry and Sam Shepard. And it's about three nature-based trips with folks that include Wilco's Jeff Tweedy, authors George Saunders and James Rebanks, and Nick's own wife, actress-comedian Megan Mullally. Uh, now, the Parks and Recreation's humorist discusses uh, writing a book about our ignorance of our place in nature, how learning about our national parks teaches us about the oppressed, indigenous, and minority people, and the importance of empathy. Now, on the musical side of things, because, of course, this is kind of a music podcast here, uh, Offerman's also going to talk about growing up on bands like Queen, Duran Duran, and Wham, uh, before finding the underground acts that changed his world that included Laurie Anderson, Talking Heads, Uncle Tupelo, They Might Be Giants, and Tom Waits. So let's discuss this book, Where the Deer and the Antelope Play. It's Kyle Meredith with Nick Offerman. Hello there. It's great to see you again. I've got the uh, the book over my shoulder. And um, so I got to tell you, first off, uh, and, and I usually save the compliments for later, but this is such an important piece of work that you've done. Um, and it completely it completely resonated with me in a hardcore way. So first off, thank you for uh, for tackling this uh very big subject uh, that we're going to get into, and there's a lot to. But um, yeah, thanks. That's that's the way this starts. Oh, well, my my pleasure. I'm I'm glad it resonated with you. It's a uh, it's a tough thing to do, um, especially as an entertainer, to try and uh, you know to try and sneak this kind of broccoli into my particular pizza. Um, but I, I I try to do my best to do it with common sense and affection for my fellow humans and i think you know i'd give myself maybe an 83 percent success on this one <laughs> which is an improvement i'll um point out at the beginning here so i'm i'm in louisville and uh louisville kentucky and i, I only point that out um for you viewers and listeners because as the book starts uh you're sitting uh with the uh the berry household wendell berry the uh the author uh nature author 
Uh, you also talk about Sam Shepard, an adopted Kentuckian who, uh, who uh, spent his last days here in Lexington. Uh, it was nice seeing Kentucky, I guess, playing a big part of this because it also has you kind of traversing the globe. So how do you explain the book? I don't want to say this is a book about nature because it's not. This is a book about a whole lot of things. I, I, uh, and I said, I want to get into this, but but what's the uh, what's the dust jacket version of, uh, of what we're getting at here? Well, I mean, it's it's specifically about our our place in nature or our our um, ignorance to our place in nature um a lot of the things that are plaguing human civilization these days can be traced back to the way we treat our natural resources and most of us me included i've spent most of my life sort of blithely ignorant to that relationship uh which is what capitalism and and uh consumerism have done to us we are, we've been able to become very comfortable buying our stuff, eating our stuff, wearing our stuff, throwing our stuff. Uh, once in a while, we notice that some of our stuff developed a big island of plastic in the ocean, but we can put that out of our minds because there's fantasy football. And, you know, and so it's, it's trying to focus back on, uh, on our relationship as part of nature to refresh our our memories to the fact that we're part of the ecosystem of the planet. And when people say we need to save the planet, I would say, no, the planet is not going any place. It's just fine. It's us <laughs> that we need to worry about. Um, and I, I'm such a big fan of, of Kentucky. Thank you for pronouncing Louisville correctly. Uh, I've, I've been taken to task many times uh, <laughs> until I, I learned to get it right. But it was just just east uh, in Henry County where the uh, the inciting question for this book took place, and I'm from Illinois, uh, farm country, and so I've always found Kentucky to be exceptionally beautiful, and um, and a, a great sort of hotbed of you know the the north meets the south, and uh, the the woods meet the fields, and um, and so I think it's a great place as the, the birth of, of these ideas for me. One thing I really appreciate the book, and again, uh, kind of spelling it out for those who, who haven't yet read it or heard it or spent the 15 minute version on some dumb website, uh, that <laughs> version of it. Um, as you're saying, you are talking about our connection with nature. Uh, it's also, as I, as I really enjoyed about this book, it's also a way um, looking at nature and looking at how we've treated nature as a way to relearn our own history. And I say that in a way of sort of the um, people's history of the United States sort of way, because you are able to reapproach history from the oppressed, uh, from the minority, whether we're talking about the beautiful national parks who were taken away from the, uh, the, uh, the Native Americans. And I say that on Indigenous, uh, Indigenous Day here. So that's, that's interestingly timed. But um, like, was that automatically part of your approach that you wanted to take? Not necessarily. I mean, uh, that's all, you know, it's, you know, it's, that's one of the sort of big ticket items that exists, you know, uh, until, until it's done, until, until the world can say, okay, reparations have been made, like everything is now cool, which I don't, I don't know that that could ever happen completely. And so that's always on my mind. It's one of the things, you know, that, that we need to pay attention to as a society. 
but it really came, it really hit home when I got to Glacier National Park and, you know, began to dig into the history and, and saw, oh, okay, the, the beautifully pristine, you know, uh, gorgeous natural setting is only this way because we Europeans scraped the people out of it uh, brutally and, and uh, shamefully. And so the, the, the agrarian that I get to in the book, Aldo Leopold, uh, who did most of his great work in Madison, Wisconsin, um, talked about how we can never lose sight of the fact that we and what we grow and what we consume, we're all, all of, we're all part of the same batch of molecules. You know, in a hundred years, I may be your grandson or, or we both may become redwood trees or way, who knows what, so, you know, we're all part of this incredible batch, this, uh, this incredible organic soup. Um, and so when you, when you think about that, uh, it, he says that every, every uh, piece of nature is, is a cog or a wheel in this sort of great creation. And so if you look at the way we treat our farm animals and factory farming, for example, it's not dissimilar from the uh, insensitivity with which we've treated indigenous peoples or the, the people that we enslaved uh, in the early part of this country. Slavery still exists. Like it's all, it all comes from the same uh, empathy or lack of empathy to say, well, this, you know, the Blackfeet tribe doesn't, uh, doesn't matter. We don't need to worry about their votes or their rights they're less than human, let's, let's brutalize them so we can take their stuff. Uh, these pigs, we don't care about these pigs, let's, let's give them horrible lives because all that really matters is that we make as much money as we can off of their, their pork. And it's, all, it's, just, it's all connected, you know, the, these mountains don't matter, nobody lives here, so let's chop the top off, con consume all the coal and, and destroy the ecosystem, doesn't matter, nobody's here, et cetera. Um, so it's it's just it's trying to dig into our our folly and ignorance with a sense of humor <laughs> and that should be pointed out there is a lot of humor in the book i, I know as we get into this uh, interview maybe it doesn't seem like that but it's nick offerman i i promise you there's a lot of funny parts in this um i'm not going to get to those right now uh, as far as my questioning goes because again the things you're talking about did resonate with me I, and i only bring this up i know you're a well-read uh, big reader and I, don't, I i bring a book up i don't know if you've read it or not I actually brought it behind me here but when i was 15 or 16 i read this book ishmael by a guy named daniel quinn and that's uh, so funny i um my friend diana rogers who has an amazing book called sacred cow that's also a documentary uh, i talk about it in the book in my book uh, and I narrate the documentary. She sent me a hardcover of that book that I'm I ha it's sitting right over there because that's my next uh, for for eighteen months. I'm like, yes, I'm going to read it like as soon as my book is <laughs> clear. So that's that's a very prescient. Uh, that's a very uh, great piece of serendipity. Yeah. Well, tell that, me tell me about Ishmael. Right, Ishmael, and I'm going to bring up the uh, the sequel. In fact, there's a whole series of books, and this is only parts one and two. The story of B. This is the, so Ishmael. What it does is basically say how we came to be here as humans. Uh, that, mm -hmm. That's the the main setup, and and what it does, and, and the way it works with with your book is it paints the big picture 
how we came to be here. What I love about your book specifically is it puts it in real life, everyday moments. Uh, it fits so well into this. The story of B, uh, my personal favorite, because he also weaves fiction in with this. It's sort of in, in that way. Uh, the story of B talks about uh, agriculture. It talks about uh, population, um, too much of it. Uh, but the, the one thing that we get to learn in these books, I think one of the most important things and what we're getting, what I'm getting at here with you is civilization as civilization started when we learned to put food under lock and key. Once you have food locked up, you have ultimate power. And it's, it's mm. so interesting, especially again, when I get into the everyday details of what you're talking about in your book here of how interconnected how we grow our food and what we do with it versus everything that's happening in our society right now. It is. No, it's, that's, it's a great point. It's all, it's all inseparable. Um, the way, and once you lock up food, then, then you are, then you are no longer treating people. You're not, you're not no longer making everybody has a beer at the party. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you do that, then you have unhappy revelers. Uh, and before you know it, we're, uh, we're shooting at each other. Right. Right. Well, again, you know, for, so for those of you all watching and listening, so so here we have these moments. And at one point in part one of the book, you are on uh, in the Glacier National Park, as you pointed out, uh, with George Saunders and uh, Jeff Tweedy. And I'll bring up Jeff Tweedy because this is a consequence of sound series. And I should probably talk about music a little bit here. <laughs> but what I really loved about it, it's sort of figuring out once it was happening is here's a series of you all being on trails and kind of discovering this part of the world. But each trail allows you to take on a different, bigger subject. And again, I would love to know, like, as you're writing this, you know, how, how did that approach end up happening? Well, I mean, this is my fifth book. And, and uh, when people ask me, you know, what's this new book about? I, I always say it doesn't really matter. What it, like it's each of my books, uh, which I love dearly, turns out to be an excuse for me to look in the mirror and and at all of us and say, all right, we are still like can't find our ass with both hands. Like, you know, how, how can we keep trying to improve? How can we like how can we just convince each other to do something as simple as like wear a mask or get vaccinated or, or some or simply gesture that we despite political differences that we simply care about one another like pure empathy and so whatever that entails whether it's talking about racism or homophobia or lgbtq rights or you know misogyny whatever it is i i basically in this case you know take a menu of trails and say Okay, <clears throat> the Highline Trail. Here's uh, here's the here's what it's like, and pretty soon something occurs to me. I I don't. I wish I could you know be uh, claim to be more clever or scientific, but it's very stream of consciousness. Uh, I sort of when I when I sit down to write a a book, I have a set of things that I want to gripe about or that I want to bring up. That's that's always involves me. I always start with, look, I'm, I'm going to make a bunch of mistakes, even in this book that you're about to read, I'm going to make a bunch of mistakes, because I'm a human being, and I'm just doing my best here. And if we all could remember that, as a people, as a town, as a state, as a nation, as a, as a planet, I think it'd be a lot easier to make progress. But 
sadly, human pride drives us to say things like, well, I'm not racist. <laughs> There's not a racist bone in my body, said the politician from South Carolina. And and you're like, well, hang on. There's no... Uh, there's no shame in it, like admitting the simple truth of our history that's profoundly racist, that's simply purely racist. Like, okay, that's what happened. There's no denying it. So let's own that and say, okay, that was messed up. So how can we make it better? How can we strive towards actually fulfilling the words we set down uh, as the foundation of this country, the Bill of Rights and the Constitution? To, to truly treat everybody the same, give everybody the same sh fair shake. So that, you know, it, it, I, I go at it through uh, a menu of trails, through a visit with a shepherd, you know, and through uh, an Airstream trip with my wife. So I'll bring up the first one again, uh, because we're on consequence here. Uh, you have the heroic Jeff Tweedy, who uh, not only saves George's glasses in the most heroic way and falls down a glacier, in the most heroic way. Um, you've got a long history too with Wilco uh, that I always appreciate as you talk about in the book that goes all the way back to your fandom for, uh, for Uncle Tupelo. Uh, it's a long way. I, I'm, I'm, I'm making my way back around to what we're talking about here, but your, your choice of music, it, I, I mean, in the few times we've talked, I say in the couple times we've talked, I've always felt is in line with mine. So I, I asked this sort of coming from my own background that it sounds like at some point in your life you found... Uh, the alternative track. And I'm not saying that in the big radio way. <laughs> what was your coming of age music? Like, wh who are those bands? And, and how did you find them in the middle of where you were in Illinois? Uh, boy, that's, that's, a, that's a big question. Um, I, uh, I, I grew up in a cultural vacuum. And I don't, I, I say this with all sincerity, I don't really have taste. Uh, I don't really have good taste, I guess. My wife has amazing taste. She's very sophisticated and she's amazing at picking stuff. So growing up, I didn't, uh, you know, I, I had an older sister and uh, older cousin and they got to the channels of culture. This is the late seventies into the eighties. And so they were uh, anything besides the radio that I was getting, I was getting through them, which means queen uh, Duran Duran, uh, early George Michael, Wham, Wham UK stuff, and which I was totally down with. Then my cousin and I in the mid '80s discovered break dancing, and we had a break dancing duo. So we would stay up late at night, and off some Chicago radio station, we would get like early uh, Nucleus, Grandmaster Flash kind of stuff, Rapper's Delight, and you know we would cassette record off the radio stuff that we could break dance to, but I. I mean, those were just my the first sips uh, coming out of the desert of my youth, and when I when I got to college in Champaign Urbana, to uh, theater school, suddenly that's where my friends, the weirdos, were like, "Oh, come in, come into the oasis. Here's Laurie Anderson. Here's early Neil Young. Here's here's David Byrne and Talking Heads, um, and uh, eventually, you know." Here's Uncle Tupelo. Here's They Might Be Giants. My They gave me They Might Be Giants. And I was like, holy shit. This, like, that was my, that was my becoming. You know, if I was, if I was the Highlander and my quickening 
was They Might Be Giants album Lincoln, where I was like, oh, my life has been solved. Uh, thank you. And so um, I really tapped into just, you know, the same way that I think the thing that drives one to become a theater artist where you're like, I want to tell stories to society to point out what's wrong with us so that we, you know, so we can try and, and be better to one another. Um, and that's just developed over the years and it's still developing. Uh, somebody, somebody gave me some Tom Waits uh, and, and I, and I was like, Oh, okay, this is me. This is my life. Um, and, and I'm still, I'm still chasing it. It's been 10 years this year since Tom released a record. He's been having fun acting, but I'm, I'm missing. I'm a greedy bastard when it comes to fandom. No. So it's sure. <laughs> uh, I, I understand that, but at the same time, how grateful can we be for the, who, who else has a massive body of work that remains that profound and poignant. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll even say the same thing about They Might Be Giants. In fact, you and I did talk about them last time. They got their new um, their new album book, which I just got the box set in there and I'm looking to dive into. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, and that's that I, again, that's kind of what I'm getting to back around because I'm only, you know, relating to my own experience here. It was a, a Pearl Jam album, Yield, that was based on Daniel Quinn's Ishmael that sort of led me to learn about animism that led me to learn, learn about agrarianism and and a bunch of other isms that go along with that. And um, I don't know if you can, it, like I said, it sounds like you were sort of getting at that, but if you can pinpoint like that moment where you started to become aware, you know, of, of, of the things that you are talking about in this book. Well, I can't, I can't, tr I don't think I can trace it to music. I mean, I can, tr I can trace uh, specifically on, uh, I think, I think on, on Lincoln by They Might Be Giants is the song, Your Racist Friend. And that was pretty eye-opening where I was like, oh, you can have popular culture that has like a cool social message, you know, sorry guys, but you're going to be accused of being woke at some point. Um, hope, hope you like people who, uh, who only like white people. Um, that didn't come out right. Uh, hope, but that, that was pretty crazy, but I, it, it took me a long time because I'm not, the sharpest tool in the shed to like, I, I wouldn't hear music and say, and sort of be able to apply that to my own life because of, of being dumb. And, and so I was much, uh, you know, I was really into plays that, that sort of had carried an empathetic message uh, of any sort. And it was and it was working on the Sam Shepard play, and somebody gave me Wendell Berry stories. It was these Wendell Berry short stories uh, that 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 was the moment. That was like the slap across the face where I was like, "Oh, I am a storyteller. I'm an entertainer. Here's Wendell has given me this incredible example of the kind of family I grew up in, the kind of community with farming values." uh and good honest hard-working common sense uh, he's shown me that i can try and communicate that 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 has incredible value and in fact the greatest value like i i think i always placed popular culture in the city or like not not attached to me but wendell wendell's fiction said no actually you are in this this isn't you 
And so from then on, I've, I've then made choices to try and like bring the two together. And I said to Wendell and his family, if I, if I could just have a career communicating his writing to people, that would make me very happy. Uh, but they, they talked to me about things like copyright issues. And I said, I, I understand. And they said, why don't you try and write, you know, do your own version of this. And so we're still, we're still dancing uh, in a collaborative way. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. Like I said, it, it resonated with me. Uh, I have the issue of just telling myself to turn off, to, to stop working, to get away from this thing that I'm doing right here. Um, so we booked a couple days after I, uh, while I was in the middle of the book, we booked a couple days for next week to Red River Gorge just to do, to walk around, to do the thing. You know, and I'll wrap it up with this. Just some couple things I wrote down as I'm reading it that you can fight every battle just by making the small choices in your daily life. And the way forward starts, of course, with facing our truth. Those are my two favorite points that I've taken from this book. So again, I'm just sending those out there as a compliment to you of what this book already means to me. Well, thank you. I I appreciate it. I mean, it's really complicated. I you know, I'm I'm not the dumbest person or the smartest person. And that's true of all but two of us. Uh, and so we got to band together. There, like one tiny thing that drives me insane is the whole bottled water situation. I've got this thing. Uh, this one happens to be from my wood shop, which uh, is a wonderful website, offermanwoodshop.com. But get it. I've been, I think I've gone through three of these in about the last five years. I take it, I tour for a living and I don't, I just make it a rule. I don't ever use a disposable plastic bottle. We have allowed ourselves through human laziness to, to become accustomed to wherever we go, people hand us plastic bottles of water. And that's completely been done by beverage corporations. It's bananas. And that's one tiny thing, but let's, let's, let's wipe that out. I mean, just we need to we need to keep checking off these boxes. And um, there's a wonderful book called uh, Bottle Mania by Elizabeth Reut, R-O-Y-T-E, that gets into this. And if if you real if you realize, think about it. These beverage companies, mainly Nestle, are buying the water the the water <laughs> right from beneath our communities all over the country. Their, their milkshake, you know, and there will be blood like they have the deepest straw. They're drinking all of our milkshakes and then selling it to us. It's it's bonkers. Uh, let's reclaim our water and our place as part of the natural ecosystem. That's with full culpability that we're dumb and we're going to make a lot of mistakes. But let's at least hang that as our carrot uh, instead of buying too many 
brightly colored athletic shoes. Well, that's what I mean. That's a small daily choice right there that anybody can do so easily. So, uh, Nick, I appreciate it so much. I look forward to the next uh, comedy moment. <laughs> Again, there's lots of that in this book, by the way. Uh, I can't uh, can't thank you enough. Congratulations on this one right here. And uh, hopefully one of these days, I know we'll see you back around this way again. With any luck. Thank you so much for having me and have a beautiful day. Now, the last time that Nick and I talked was uh, back in uh, 2019. We got to discuss his uh, latest stand-up tour at that time called All Rise, which uh, found the humorous widening the scope of our current political era to encompass the, uh, the follies of all of humankind. So you see how it works with the interview that we just did about his new book. Uh, we got to t- hear about uh, Nick's ties with Kentucky uh, farming through his friendship with author-poet Wendell Berry, the process of teaming up with his wife, Megan Mullally, to uh, direct his latest stage show, and his uh, musical collaborations with uh, Mark Rivers of Mouse Rat uh, for you uh, Parks and Rec fans and Wilco's Jeff Tweedy. Uh, in fact, we got to uh, uh, wax deep on the joys of Wilco and more about They Might Be Giants. So let's do it part two of Kyle Meredith with Nick Offerman. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to talk to you, sir. Uh, really, really an honor. Thank you for doing this. We're all in this together, Kyle. That seems like an obvious seg as you're talking about the uh, the All Rise Tour, and I'll make mention of this at the beginning here. You're going to be in town this Friday playing right next door to us here at WFBK at the uh, Louisville Palace, and we're really excited to have you back here. Expecting a really uh, interesting time because I think it couldn't be more perfectly timed since we just had the election last night and, and what it's... What you kind of what the results were because do I get the in a way you're speaking to all of this right? That's my intention. Yeah, is to uh, to try and take a step back from all of the rancor and the fish shaking and say, hey, everybody, hang on. We live in a country where we get to pick what happens. So if you're mad, it's arguable that we're that we're doing this to ourselves. So let's make let's make fun of uh, of what's in all of us that makes us behave so foolishly. <laughs> and I tell you, there's plenty of that going on around here. Um, uh, you know, we did. Uh, it was basically a Republican sweep uh, last night, except for the governorship. You know, there is a Democratic governor now. So when you're saying the words "all rise," you're speaking to everyone. I, I'm doing my best. Yeah, I mean, the uh, there, there's some obvious uh, low-hanging fruit in the decency department. But but by and large, I'm speaking to tribal behaviors, you know, uh, things that are understandable, that are maybe old fashioned behaviors like racism and homophobia and uh, and nationalism that we're that we're clinging to. That makes sense. You can see where they came from and that, that, that they're fear based behaviors. But we also, you know, our better selves understand that we should put those behind us and and strive to be uh, to be decent to everybody even in Kentucky. Yeah, this is a, probably a very naive statement on my part, but the fact that nationalism is still a thing in, in the 21st century, uh, it kind of blows my mind. Like, how is it that people, as you, you use the word cling, how, how do the people still cling to that concept right there? Well, it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I, I'm an artist, and I live in Los Angeles, and I've lived in Chicago and New York, but I grew up in a little farm town in Illinois, so all of my, my people, my family and my community are much more conservative. And it's easy to see when I look at where I came from, people who are far from uh, progressive thought. They have, you know, they've set up a community and they say, look, everything works here. We're, our kids are safe. Uh, we like our schools. Don't anybody change anything. And so that that I think is what leads into let's keep it like it always was. Whereas the the more progressive minded of us are saying, look, we can keep the good parts, 
but there, but not everybody has a nice little town to live in. And eventually, I believe the point of America is that everybody should get treated equally. Even even in Kentucky, I have some friends uh, that are farmers in in rural Kentucky, and they, uh, you know, they feel very strongly that they're being misrepresented and forgotten by the local government. I can assure you that it wasn't their their farm ledgers that elected those Republicans yesterday. Right. I mean, the thing I think yesterday that proves, especially your points, and, and I'll say this, you know, from me personally, definitely not projecting or trying to put words in your mouth, but the governor that lost, uh, Matt Bevan, who at this very second has yet to concede it, uh, I think that was a nice moment of everybody saying, regardless of what political side you're on, everybody hates an asshole. That, yes, that, uh, I, 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 with any luck, that we're, we're in for more of that, hopefully through the 2020 election. That there's red politics and blue politics, but if you're going to be uh, ignorant and, uh, and, and two-faced and, yes, uh, a full-on asshole, then... By gosh, you will be removed. Uh, I should point out, too, you, you mentioned the farmers, and, and I think that is part of the story of you coming to Kentucky probably any time is your connection not just with the farmers but with a, a great voice of uh, of the farmers, and that's, uh, that's Wendell Berry. The documentary, it's a couple years now, Look and See, Wendell Berry's Kentucky. You're the producer of that, right? Yes, that that was a couple of years ago. You know, I'm, I'm a great student of, uh, of his writing, and I'm a big fan of of Wendell and his family, his daughter Mary Barry Smith is running the Barry Farming Program, where you know it's an effort to try and uh, re-educate small farmers in how to survive in this ridiculous economy that is all but forgotten. All this, I mean, the the stats of, of small farming in this country are heartbreaking. We literally have like two percent of the farmers that we had just 50 or 60 years ago. And so it just begs the question, who's growing our tomatoes? It's, it's part of the foolishness. It's part of the blinder thinking uh, where we blindly, you know, purchase things in a grocery store that are put there by, by corporate farming that are ruining the peoples, ruining the soil. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the writing of Wendell Berry and for his family's efforts. I love to support them to try and reawaken people to understanding where your food comes from and how that affects the overall health of your county, your state, your country, and ultimately the planet. It's hilarious, hilarious stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, and I, I promise I will get to the, the lighter side of all this, but it, it is really interesting. I, I, I too, come from a, a, a small farming family in a very rural part of Kentucky growing up, and Wendell has, has been a hero, but uh, especially I'm, I'm so grateful that you're also kind of a megaphone for what he's doing uh, even beyond uh, our, our you know region and state well it's he his his common sense is, is of an ilk that everybody can benefit from it's it's just about humanity it's about our tendency to make the lazy choice and say oh instead of doing the work instead of going out and uh splitting firewood if i have a fella deliver coal that's easier and if i you know so and we keep making the the lazy human nature choices and that's a big part of how we've gotten into this mess we're in. So I'm just grateful for his his common sense and also his affection for humanity. You know, we're all in this together. I'm driving a vehicle right now, you know, using fossil fuels. I certainly enjoy my air conditioning here in Los Angeles. We're we're all complicit. So let's let's all pull our heads out of our rear ends and say, look, can we stop yelling at at each other about church issues? and get down to uh, trying to clear up the climate. Right, exactly. 
And again, you know, and thank you for that. So, so I will. I'll, I'll tie that back around to the um, so what you're doing is with the All Rise tour that you're on right now. And point out, you know, I think you work with your wife Megan Lilly on this. And I was kind of wondering about that process too, because she, as I read, she helps or she directs this uh, this whole stage show. Do you start your collaboration together, or do you bring her the idea? Do you say this is what I'm thinking for the show? What do we go from here? How do, how does it work? When I write my comedy shows, I uh, I write it myself, and I even begin to workshop it. I, I toured this work through uh, Australia and New Zealand, and she was around. She was touring with her band, uh, Nancy and Beth. Mm-hmm. And so we were together. I was seeing her shows. She was seeing my shows. So I, I write the stuff, and then we put her brain on it and say, look, here's a, here's a whole bunch of clay I've produced. And she says, okay, great, let me get out my tools. Because she has such an incredible showbiz acumen. She can watch my show and say, okay, number one, take that Brett Kavanaugh song and make that number two, because that's a great song, people love it, and you, you want a really punchy song for your second song, et cetera. You know, she's like, well, dance a little bit when you're delivering that punchline. And so... You know, I would I would just be a, a, a an ignorant, stubborn fool, also known as a a man, <laughs> if I didn't invite my wife's collaboration. Like I I have a comedy master class sleeping in the bed next to me, so I, I'm glad that I have the wherewithal to say, "Hey, honey, please push me in the right direction here." And that's not the only collaborator, because as you're talking about this music, it's uh, you've invited a, a lot of friends to, to help you out with that, too, with the songwriting? Yeah, the, mainly there's a guy named Mark Rivers who wrote all the songs for uh, Parks and Recreation. If you've laughed at a song on a TV show, he, there's a good chance he wrote it. He's very prolific. And if you're a Parks and Rec fan, in the band Mouse Rat, uh, he was the drummer. He's my comedy jukebox. Like, I'll, I'll write... Uh, lyrics uh, or just some ideas, send them to Mark, and he sends them back as, as a as a radio hit. And he only he, the, the best jokes in the song are always his. He's just a, a genius. And then I also uh, had the very good fortune to write one of the songs with my friend Jeff Tweedy uh, of Wilco for this show. It's a song about a worker bee called "Thank God It's Friday." And so I mean th- that's just ridiculous and in, in the past megan is also very good at writing melodies so i don't i don't have that particular talent i i love to come up with funny jokes often in an a b rhyme scheme but i i depend on greater talents than my own to make make them into catchy pop jams uh, we are massive fans of jeff tweedy and, and wilco around here and and that man is a machine I mean, the amount of songs that he can pump out nonstop for himself, for his solo, for, for his collaborations is just mind-blowing. It really is. He, he, he's astonishing, and the members of Wilco, I, I have been with them on different tours in different locations around the world. Uh, when we cross paths, I love to go see them. I've been a huge fan of his for 20 years or more uh, since Uncle Tupelo. Mm-hmm. And the crazy thing is when you go see them, they usually maintain a list of two to 300 songs. Right. Any given night, Jeff will come up with a set list of, say, 30 songs and say, here you go, guys. And they all have them, all, like they're all the most masterful musicians and, uh, and just lovely guys as well. And to go into so many sounds from, you know, the classic Americana to... 
yeah, Sonic Youth, no wave, you know, just in the middle of it's, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm only echoing you at this point. <laughs> yeah, they're the if, if you like sourdough bread, they're they are the starter dough. <laughs> That's amazing. I I was going to bring up though, you know, on the music side, um, one of the many things that uh, you are accomplished at is woodworking. Uh, you know, and, and I read about boats, and I read about I think like uh, gaming tables. Have you made your own guitar yet? Is is that something in the future? It's absolutely. Uh, that that's my uh, my my current holy grail. I've done all the research. I've I've spent some time at Collings Guitars in Austin. I, I read three books. And I, I decided to start with ukuleles. So I, I've made uh, a couple ukuleles that I've toured with. I have a batch of 12 ukuleles waiting for me to get off the road and finish them. They're sitting at my wood shop. And once, uh, once I have those done, then it's time to launch into my first acoustic guitar. And I can't wait, you know, since I, I tour playing songs on the guitar, I can't wait to be able to write a song about this guitar that I'm playing right now. That feels like it'll be a special superpower. And without knowing anything about woodworking myself, that, that's got to be very different from just any other thing that's not a guitar, because to me, you have to put in the idea of sound to go along with that. I mean, that sound hole can mean so much as to what happens with, with this piece of wood. Well, it's true. I've, I've, made, uh, I've made a few boats, mainly 18-foot canoes, and just like a musical instrument, with a boat, it ultimately doesn't matter what it looks like so long as it keeps the water out. And with a musical instrument, it also it doesn't ultimately matter what it looks like as long as it is thin and well-constructed enough to vibrate the chamber of air within it to make a beautiful sound, you know? You can make an incredible-looking guitar, but if it's too thick or heavily braced, it sounds like you're playing a two-by-six with some kite string on it. And so, it, but it's, it's just a matter of finesse, and it's the kind of thing, uh, I, I've done enough woodworking to know that I'll probably screw up at least a handful of times. So I'll, I'll probably go in using not my best wood, not my most expensive stuff, so that when I make a mistake and smash it over my own head, I say, okay, that, I knew that was coming. <laughs> now let's, let's start again. Everybody just take a breath. Yeah. I'll also throw in here real quick, too, that um, uh, you started in the They Might Be Giants, uh, the greatest video. And, and again, that's another one. We're, we're big fans. What was it like working with the Johns? They're kind of my first obsession. Uh, when I left my small Illinois town and went to theater school and met my first cool friends who had, like, the counterculture materials, this is 1988. They Might Be Giants had their first couple records out. Their their first record was out, and their, their second record called Lincoln came out while I was making friends in theater school, and I said, holy cow, these are the brilliant, weird brains with such a great sense of humor that I have been looking for my whole life. And so I, I could still probably recite their first five albums end to end. I just love their, their poetry. It's so smart and funny. So I had met them a couple times over the years. And frankly, I mean, working with them is an absolute dream come true. I mean, they say never meet your heroes. And that's proven true uh, many times for me here in Hollywood. But the two Johns are generous to a fault. Even after all these decades and, and all these records and successes, they still, we try, here's a great example. I was trying to use a song of theirs for a movie that I produced. And their label would not make us a deal. You know, we had, a, we had a small independent film budget. We had, I think, 
$1,500 we could spend on the rights to the, to the song. And their label said, sorry, no, the minimum would be $30,000. And we said, yeah, <laughs> we don't, I mean, we don't have that. But I happened to know the Johns and I got a hold of them and they bent over backwards. They did everything they could, including offered offering to for me to come to their studio in Brooklyn and record our own version <laughs> of the song wow. so that we would have like our own. But it turned out because it would be the same tune, that would still fall under the label's jurisdiction. So we ended up not being able to do it. No thanks to uh, to the efforts on their part. They, um, I, I just, I couldn't believe it. You know, it, it got to the point where I had to say, no, 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 you guys, that's, <laughs> thank you. That we've been defeated here. Like, you, do, you please don't come drive over here with your with your xylophone. That's that's that is. Seriously, above and beyond. So yeah, they're, I just adore. I adore those guys. I really admire them. Well, I I, uh, I absolutely love. You know, so what I do know about your uh, your your musical uh, history and and influences, we're on the same path anyway. And and and, and I can't wait to hear how that ties into this show with these songs. Uh, am I going to be able to hear some of this influence in, in what I'm going to be f- uh, hearing on the stage this Friday? Well, I, I suppose. I mean, knowing. Uh, I'd say the the biggest flare you'll see go up in the show is when you hear, thank God it's Friday. Now that you know, it's pretty clearly chords that you may have heard before, you know, or chord progression that's that's somewhat Wilco-esque. Other than that, I'm a much clumsier musician than any of the people we're talking about. <laughs> I depend fulsomely on the laughter of the audience to cover my B chords and my C minors. And so the the good thing is people do seem to oblige. Uh, the, the songs really work. I love them as a joke delivery system. And people go crazy about my pean to Brett Kavanaugh uh, entitled I Like Beer. There definitely seems to be a nationally, a collective, well, a, a need for schadenfreude in regards to to the strangely stolen um, Supreme Court seat of, of last year. It used to be that we used to say that uh, distortion was the way to mask all your mistakes. I'd never considered laughter. I'll, I'll get off stage and say, man, I really screwed up that uh, that third verse. And they'll say, I had no idea you were even playing. We were all just <laughs> laughing and, and pointing at you. <laughs> It's a nice life right there. Certainly, it sounds like it anyway. Uh, Nick, uh, again, I, I cannot wait. All Rise, playing at the Louisville Palace uh, Friday, November 8th. Uh, we are so excited to have you back in town. So uh, looking forward to that. And, and again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. I, I so appreciate it. Well, it's, it's my pleasure. I love the Palace. I've played there a handful of times by now. And I love Louisville. It's uh, it's one of the sort of big-shouldered American cities that I have watched over my years of touring, sort of reclaim its its culture and its personality. And uh, I love all the flavors there. You know, it's obviously a great town if you like whiskeys, but also if, if you like meats of any sort. And, and uh, an, an incredible array of, you know, farm-to-table, locavore produce. It's a uh, it's a great place for culture, and I'm, I'm glad to make my contribution to the menu. Excited to hear that. Uh, and again, excited to have you here. We'll, we'll see you Friday nights. All right. See you then. Thank you. All right. Take care, Nick. Bye. You too. Bye.
And again, my thanks to Nick Offerman. The new book is called Where the Deer and the Antelope Play. Big thanks to you as well again for checking out the episode. Please do hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with the, all the interviews that I put out every single week. New and every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at all the places that you can subscribe to podcasts. That does include YouTube for the video version as well. After that... Head over to my other playground, WFPK.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. Uh, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Although you don't have to wait till 6 p.m., there's great programming happening at WFPK every hour of the day. After all that, head over to Consequence, uh, where you can find your uh, music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all three of them, at Kyle Meredith, over on TikTok at Kyle M. Meredith. That M stands for, hmm, Meredith. Uh, That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. It's a little, I get a little trepidatious with these books and then people like you come along and make me feel like I'm halfway on the right path. So I'm very grateful. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.